0: Good morning, Ipsy Free. If you'd please join me in standing for the reading of God's word. You're reading Psalms 139. O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I am going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and, lo- Excuse me. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh, God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. O oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred, for your enemies are my enemies. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you, and lead me along the path of everlasting life. You may be seated.
1: Well, thanks, Peter, for helping us into our passage. One of my favorite psalms of all, of David's. It's a wonderful way to honor the Lord by reading it together and standing to do that. Well, welcome, We're so glad you have decided to gather with us in person or online. We're continuing our series, as we just said, and as the bumper indicated, deeply formed. At Ipsy Free, we're a gathering of people who desire to love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. We know as we follow Jesus, this desire is only fulfilled, only fulfilled if we live a surrendered life empowered by the Holy Spirit. This means we don't have it all worked out. We're working it out as we live and love in the way of Jesus. That's the way it is. So if you have joined us for the first time you have, or you've been with us a long time, thank you for gathering with us today. Continuing the, this journey to live out love is a lifetime commitment, not a single day devotion. Last week, we talked about how we live divided. Simply stated, there are things we do that we do not want to do, and there are things we do not want to do that we do. Paul shared this with us from Romans chapter 7. If you, if you remember, I ask you at the end of the message to just notice those places in which you found yourself divided, that the, you realize what you did is not what you wanted to do. Your heart says something different. It's divided. Well, since I asked you, I thought I would just take a moment and share one of mine uh, that's safe. I'm not as secure as you might think, so I'll just share one of them that's safe. I was getting around one morning, and Kathy, my wife, did the sweetest gesture for me, and she laminated my COVID-19 cart. Uh, Yep, that's right, I've got my second dose, and I'm I'm on that way. And she handed it to me. Now, my mind was not on the gesture that she had done. Not at all. Not even close. My gesture or my thoughts were on the day, and so she handed it to me, and my words were, "I I don't need that. I've got it in my phone. Now, my wife is sweet and gracious. She knows how to deliver truth. She looked at me and said, the least you could do is say thank you, right? <laughs> now, you know, and I was awoken from my slumber, not because she called me out, but because my mind was somewhere else. And when you're, when you're present to the moment, as Jesus calls us to be, these are the things that are supposed to come out of it. We're supposed to be grateful. We're supposed to be thankful. It's not about me. It's about the other person. Yeah? Jesus died and was raised to life so that we can can be and live from more and integrated and whole heart, mind, and soul. This is what he called us to. And yet, unless we're intentional, we can have said yes to Jesus 40 years ago and still be a one-year-old. Do you know that? Now, I didn't say that. The Hebrew writer said that about people. He said, look, you should be on to eating meat and you're still drinking milk. And in this occasion, it was not a compliment. Friends, we have to be intentional about our life lived in Jesus because we, he wants it to be whole and integrated, full and abundant for us. So how do we do that? How do we live for Jesus with full-on intention? How do we fo- follow bringing our heart in our mind, and our soul, and taking up, picking up our cross and following him. How do we do this? I think it's through the practice of examine. Through the practice of examine. Now, this may be fu- weird to say or even think about. It's found throughout Scripture. In fact, the whole passage that Peter read, read to us from Psalm 139 is a complete examine psalm. Right? It starts at the beginning. God knows me and it ends with search me. All through it, it's this idea of wait a second, my life before you, Lord, is the only thing that counts. Simply to say, examine is to inspect something or someone in order to determine their condition or nature as it should be. Machinery is calibrated within specs, some of you work in that field and in those areas and you're constantly recalibrating the machinery so it runs right or a plane so it flies correctly. Doctors are tested on their skills continuously, otherwise, well, that's one of the reasons why they have malpractice insurance. They skills may not match what they should be doing in certain points and they need protection. I I get all this. Teachers are evaluated by their admins or their principals for classroom management and the conveyance of the material that is put before them to the students that they have. This happens all the time. There's just quickly on the screen, there's some pictures just to illustrate. When I take my car to get an oil change, they don't just change the oil anymore. They check a bunch of other things. And yes, I know some of us have this theory that they're checking just to charge us something new. But I am grateful that they check for my brakes. Why? Because I don't want them to fail. I want them to examine them, right? These are picture, these kids in the corner are, are kids in Haiti, and they're standing in line to get their eye examined. Uh, some of us in here are, have been, and are continuing to be supportive of some work that's done in southern Michigan, and broadly uh, with an eye clinic that happens in Haiti and around Dessalines, and so this is partial to me, but they're standing there, right? They're looking at you know the chart and trying to figure out what they can and can't read. And can I tell you when a child can then actually read what they couldn't read before, there's just a great thing. Examination's not a bad thing. Um, we need to alter some ideas and thoughts. Even go to the doctor maybe prove trepidatious, but it's not bad. It just tells us where we're at. What about this student Every one of us have had to take a test here or there, right? Everywhere we go and whatever you do, you are or it is being examined. Like I said, I went and got my second vaccine shot and there were people who asked, examined, and asked again to make sure my information was correctly correct before they gave me a jab of the second dose. I mean, that's their job and I'm grateful for it. So just a pause, aren't you grateful for our healthcare workers and the scientists and the people who have just worked diligently on our behalf? Literally on our behalf. Whatever you think, wherever you fall, they are working on our behalf. I know I am. They give and some of them have volunteered, especially locally. Some of you know them. They've given of their time, their energy and their efforts so that we can get on our right path. So this crisis can be, we can get on the top side of this. I'm, I'm grateful for that. That's just a side note. Well, we examine almost everything. Some things with greater diligence than other things, right? So the new car with the new car sheen. How many times do you walk around the car to make sure that somebody hasn't bumped it or nicked it or you, draw, you, you park somewhere else? I mean, we examine things with, with great diligence if they're very close to us. And some of those things that we ex- inspect are th- just things, but there are things that we inspect that are far more important that we do not spend the time or the energy or the effort to inspect and examine with the Lord's help. Can I just tell you what they are? It's your heart, it's your mind, and it's your soul. We spend far more time inspecting things outside of ourselves and allowing, taking the time to joined with the Holy Spirit in inspecting and examining our own hearts and our own mind and our own soul. We know this is the case, right? We, we know this. Why do we lean into that? Why is it that we tend to lean away from taking the time to just sit still and kind of evaluate, to examine Our heart, mind, and soul, I think it's this. At least it is for me, and you can evaluate what it would be for you. In our culture that we live in, in the communities that we're a part of, even in the families we're a part of, we're conditioned to applause and performance. We're conditioned to applause and performance, and those are external things, right? Your workplace, what are you evaluated on? Not what you're thinking about, per se, or your heart or your temperament, but you're, you're evaluated on your performance was an external thing. Last week, we talked about the idea that we can compartmentalize, and I think one of these places that we compartmentalize is we do it here. We go, I'm not going to deal with this because this will take too long, heart, mind, and soul, my very being, but I'm going to work out of this compartment of just work, right? And so you continue to get the raises, you get the performance up ones and all of those things but at the same time you feel hollow and empty or you feel good but if that job were to be stripped away who would you be our families are the same way sometimes we come to find out about those performance and applause things inside of our families all too late and it has this effect on us that is traumatic really I mean, when we're evaluated based on how many A's we bring home, or how good we do at work, or how many children we have, or any, any one of those things, those aren't our heart, mind, and soul. They really aren't. School does the same things, right? We talked about this. Things, whether you have a house, a car, clothing, technology, we're all being pushed into these areas of applause and performance based on the cultural things. Now, the crazy thing is that we are not thinking, if we're caught into that, even inside the church, even as followers, we're not thinking clearly that the culture that created this is not benign. It's the evil one who is behind it. Remember Ephesians, we're told by Paul that it's not against flesh and blood, it's not against the things, but it's against the powers and principalities of the the, the air, right? Of of the worlds beyond that are behind it. And they're the ones, it is he he and his dominion, his demons that are trying to make our pace and our performance and our applause the thing that we're looking for. It's just not easy to turn this off, even if you're a follower of Jesus. It just is not. In fact, Jesus told those who would follow to follow, take up, his cross, take up hit their, our cross and follow him. If you don't do this, otherwise you'll gain the whole world and you'll lose your soul. Jesus himself was tempted in these very ways. These were his temptations. They're ours. I was in another conversation, a better conversation with my beautiful wife the other day, and she stated that she does not think most people think about their soul at all, even that they may even have one. Her reasoning, she said, just look at the way people live. If they really thought that they had a soul, they would probably live differently. They would groom themselves in a different way for a forever life. Well, I hope that's not the case for those of us who are followers. We may be found, though, lacking zeal and enthusiasm to follow Jesus in a way that he desires, the way that John in Revelation warns the church to return to their first love because they lacked enthusiasm, lacked a hunger, lacked a desire, a drive to follow and live for Jesus. Our psalmist, David, points this out. He knew this, right? Right? He knew God's desire for him was to live out the life knitted into him in his mother's womb. It wasn't his mother or his father who knitted this design into him. It was God Almighty who knitted this into him. And it's through following him that we are able to live this out. I would even go so far, it's not just saying yes, but it's living and practicing a life of examine that allows us to live in the fullness I like what Calvin, John Calvin, that is. We talked about Wesley a little bit earlier, but we're going to use both of our theologians on both sides of the coin. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves connected. The knowledge of God and that of ourselves connected. Without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. Or Socrates, if you will. The unexamined life is not worth living. So in order to live lives that love God and love all people and deliberately follow Jesus, we need to develop a practice of examination. Now, in case you're thinking this is all brand new stuff, it is not brand new. In fact, a few of them we do on a rhythmic way, probably more monthly in the first one, but we have them throughout Scripture. But I think there are others that will help us to lead a little bit further to dispel some of the divided ways of our lives as we get deeper into a few of these practices of examination. We examine ourselves before communion. You know that, right? Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 29, Paul tells us, So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine himself before they eat the bread and drink from the crop. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now, there are multiple things that are happening in Corinthians. But one, there are several timeless truths that are pointed out in this that we need to continue in this day. One, the practice of communion for followers of Jesus is not optional. It is essential to our followership. And that we need to be practicing and participating in the sacrament when it's offered. It's to be it's to be taken and keeping to the call of holiness and wholeness, this integrated life. When we eat and drink, we do not drink. To only get the forgiveness in those moments, but that we are forgiven whenever we ask. I mean, this is the cool thing. Whenever we ask Jesus for forgiveness, it is given because of what he did. The symbol of the body, the bread, and the blood, uh, the cup. Jesus not only made this clear, or Paul not only makes this clear, but Jesus himself makes this clear, even in this in this understanding of coming to church, coming and taking and participating in communion or even together. He says, if there's any relational rift that's needing to be made right, when it comes to the time that you're up there and the Lord shows it out, you're to leave that assembly. You're to leave that place and go and make it right immediately. God's desire is that our life is examined. So when he spotlights something, he wants you to take care of it. There are other things that are happening in this place. So it's not just a vertical relationship that we're constantly working on. But even in this 1 Corinthians passage, we know that in this situation, there were, there were followers of Jesus gathering. And people would show up to a meal of which that's where communion was held. It's one of the better places, I will actually admit to you, to take communion. Not, not here but around a meal with one another, you look eye to eye and go, brother, are you good? Sister, is everything clear? And you celebrate. But what was happening is that they were sitting around these tables and people would show up at different times, right? But not leave enough of the meal for everybody. They were not looking, at, looking out for one another. They were just looking for themselves. So I find even in this passage of examination that's found in 1 Corinthians 11, is this examination not only of your life vertically, but your life in horizontal? Are you looking out for yourself? Or are you looking out for others around you? We're called also to examine our faith. Second Corinthians 13:5. Again Paul says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith." Wow, those are charged words, and I know that depending on where you fall theologically, that seems to be pretty clear. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you unless, of course, you failed the test? So what is he asking? Paul calls people to test their faith. Is it in Jesus? Is it in the culture? Is it in themselves or yourself? He's asking us and putting the, the point here before them. Where is your faith? And when we measure it up to Scripture, how does it set Not as a bad, but a good, a place to make adjustments and realignments of our lives. He calls, we're called to examine our ways. Lamentations 340, let us examine our ways and test them and let us return to the Lord. Lamentation tells us to examine our ways and what do they tell about us? Oftentimes we've used the illustration, let me see your checkbook or maybe your bank statement anymore because you probably don't have a checkbook that you use on a regular basis And we can really track the ways of your living. Your calendar is a way to track your ways. What would it say about you? What would people infer from what they read? Now, again, perception um, may be wrong, I understand, but what is being said there? The interesting thing in this passage of Scripture, the prophet points out that we need to lift our lives up. In fact, he says, lift your hands to the Lord and repent for your sinfulness. But this is the point. (laughs) <laughs> what do our ways say about us? The one who calls us is holy. Are our ways holy? Are our desires to live whole and integrated holy? If not, his illumination, his light will show you where you're off. We want to have hearts, that are trans- hearts, minds, and souls that are being transformed by the Holy Spirit more into his likeness even as he has designed us in our personality and personhood. Even David recognizes this in Psalm 139 and understands God's holiness. And it, it, In fact, in some points, this is why I like it, because there are certain days it takes a different view, and different vantage point for me. It almost sounds like David's trying to avoid God. Like, don't, you can find me anywhere, but please don't, right? Because he knows that the illumination that comes from God is one that shows him where he is Far from God, or where He is coming near to God. Did you know that we're to examine our work? Galatians six three through five says this: If you think you are too important to help someone, you are already fooling yourself. You're not that important. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get satisfaction of a job well done. And if you don't need to, comp- you and you don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are responsible for our own conduct. God wants us to, to do what we're called to do. Not somebody else's work. Not somebody else's position. He wants us to do it with faithfulness to what he's called us to be. The totality of our lives and all of these examinations are brought into the light in the reign of God's lordship. And he is the only one we are accountable for. Even when you're at work, I get it, your evaluation's going to come from a boss, but when you're living for the only one and only, your evaluation will go as the Lord wants your evaluation to go. Absolutely. Jesus brings the conversation of examination even further to us, right? As we, as we move through it, he not only talks about the externals of what we do, but he begins to move us to an internal mooring, this internal examination of who we are. In the Sermon on the Mount, he changes everything for us. Even in Judaism, he changes the, what they would look externally at a person to the internal heart, mind, and soul. This is why our emphasis is there, not on what I can see, but on what, you, what the Lord's examination is of your heart, mind, and soul. And we see this shift. Peter knew this and got a hold of this, and in light of what we've been going through, and I know the conversation has been big on this, but we are we are to examine our anxiety. We examine our anxiety. First Peter five seven says, "Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you." It's talking about give your anxieties to Him. I mean, no matter if they're ongoing or they're just they're there. Because God's desire is not for you to be found out. His desire is for you to be complete and integrated from the inside out. He wants you not to work out of this place of unsure, unfounded sand, right? Have you ever ran on the sand? Great workout, great workout, but it just continually sinks and moves. It's just constantly moving, and he wants to place you on him and in him, on the solid rock Have you ever tried to make decisions while you're feeling anxious, worried, or fearful? Maybe you have made them and regretted them. That's exactly one of the reasons why he wants to cast all your cares, cast all your worries to him. Let him put you on solid footing. We want God to examine us. Whatever is leaking out, let him know of it. We examine our reactions, too. Did you know that? James 3, 5 says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes a great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He's talking about a reaction. I have many of these that I'm caught in all the time, right? Expressions that come from my mouth. Reactions that are just somewhat automatic, that need to be tempered by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you have some too. But maybe they're not just external, they're internal. You see somebody and you begin to already label them, right? You have these internal or external reactions. We examine our feelings. God has given us emotions, but he wants us to measure our feelings, because our feelings are what we tend to act on or behave on. I mean, it's, feelings aren't bad. Jesus wept. This is why I use this verse. He loved Lazarus. He didn't love the decay that came to him because of death. I think there are multiple reasons why Jesus wept. We have feelings, but we are to lift them and raise them and appropriate them as God would want us to. This last one, well, maybe you would go, what? Where does this come from? We examine our family of origin. Let me read to you a passage of scripture and then kind of explain why we, we would want to examine this. While Jesus was t- talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here in front of him, that's who he's pointing to, are my mother and brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, we've talked about this a few times in the past, but if we were to jump into this scene right here, you would hear a lot of gasp. You would hear just this collective like, oh, what did he just say? Yep, his mom was out there. Some have conjectured that, he, that she was concerned about what her son was doing and what he was saying, what, what she was hearing, and wanted to rein him in to bring him back to grounding that was a little more on her, well, making her feel better And Jesus reroutes it. He doesn't just reroute this idea of family for himself. The interesting thing is that Jesus reroutes and realigns and retells this story, and all through the scriptures you can find this where he begins to realign what it means to follow Jesus, follow him, excuse me, and what that means to be with him or not with him. And this is one of those places he puts a he puts a stake in the ground. And he says, look, this is what true family is. People that do my will and follow my ways. So when we think about our family of origins, there are a lot of things that come in. There are a lot of things that start to flow into our lives that actually affect, can I tell you, all the other ones, all the the other examines that we have above us. The idea of anxiety how we walk and talk our faith, how we, whether we do or don't. All of those things come to play. But Jesus desires us to live in his way as part of his family exclusively and invitationally, right? But there are things that come in. Let me tell you a couple of things that if you start to examine, and maybe some of you have done the hard work of this already, you find a couple of these to be true. You find patterns, patterns patterns are the repeated behaviors and practices habits or ways of thinking that extend from one generation to the next there are things that i do the ways that i speak and the ways that i behave that are that were well they were part of my growing up environment whether my immediate family or my extended family and i can see the traits there are other people in my family who can look at me and go Oh, you have, you know, grandpa's whatever, or you have dad's whatever, right? There are patterns. They're not bad. There may be patterns that are not so healthy, right? But not just patterns. There are other things that happen, and this is what was happening with Jesus. See, Mary had a script that she was living to. Mary had a script that she was living to. It's this. The scripts are this, messages we receive and roles we are given and the ways we believe we must live that have been handed down to us subconsciously interpret or unsubconsciously interpreted by us. I I find this rather interesting because these are some of the things that we come, we become awakened to as we probably get a little bit older. We get a little bit more removed from our family. Some of them are positive and some of them are negative, right, Uh, that we have. But Mary was attempting to get Jesus to live into her script. This was not the only place in Matthew 12, but we also see it in John, where she attempts to tell Jesus to do a miracle. Now, did Jesus do the miracle? He did the miracle. But his words back back to her were, woman, this isn't my time. He was trying to get her to understand that her demands on him well, she can ask, but he had a different script, a different person he was living to. These can happen in our own families, right? We can have requests. We can have demands. There's scripts that we're supposed to live or live into. When we start to investigate and examine these scripts or patterns, and there's other aspects that come, start coming through, we begin to realize, wait a second, am I living the life that Jesus has called me to live, ultimately? Am I living into the fullness of myself? Or am I living into what other people have scribed for me, whether it's culturally, in my workplace, in my families? Am I living the truest life that God has designed and desired for me? We have to ask the question, so... If this is all that's going to come up, if God's going to illuminate potential places where I'm not living fully for him, sin, brokenness, or patterns of my family that are pulling me not toward Jesus, but away from Jesus, and then there are patterns that help us to pull us towards Jesus, right? Why do we do this? We do this for this reason, to live in the grace and presence of God, fully. Fully. We do this. We allow the fullness of our interior lives, our minds, our hearts, and our souls to come forward to live in the grace and presence of God because God is gracious with who we are. He wishes to make us, design us, create us, realign us, restore us into that because he desires us to live in greater freedom, not captivity, not in bondage, but he wishes to deliver us from the grave. He wants us to move from death to life. And he wants us to become a presence in all the world capable of greater peace and love for all. You see, the work that God does in us is not for us to kind of go, oh, I feel good. But the work he does in us is, I feel good and I want to liberate. I want to be part of the work that he liberates other people in. We work into his greater design for that. It's not to hibernate or isolate it. It's actually to be available. I won't even say to be, you know, some of us are introverts and extroverts, but it's to be available to God in all moments and all places so that he can use us in the best way possible, in the way that life is truly abundant and truly fear. So what is our next step? What do we do? What do we do in all that? Well, I need to say it one more time just so we understand. We need to protect, uh, pro- develop the practice of examine so that our heart, mind, soul are integrated as, as, and whole as we love God, love all people, and follow him. What, we need to do that because that's the, greatest, that's the greatest person that God's designed you to be, the desire for you. And if we're gonna do that, I believe one of the, one practice that's very important to that is the, is the practice of examine. I'm going to share with you uh, really an adaptation of, Saint uh, Ignatius of Loyola's. Uh, it's out of his spiritual exercises. I want to share, you, share with you an adaptation that you can put into practice if you don't already. Now, many people that use the prayer of examine, which is what his is called, would use it in the evening. They would end the day not with a Netflix binge, But they would end the day reflecting on, Lord, where have I been? What have I been doing? So here are a few of them. One, reflect with gratefulness. Reflect with gratefulness. Uh, Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We can get to the end of the day, and can I tell you, we can get to the end of the day and think, God does not love me, just as we've kind of walked through, that he's, he may be the potter, and he may be the, the artist, but I'm not very good clay, and I'm not, definitely not a clean canvas, right? But the truth is, is he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And we need to start with this idea of gratefulness for the very breath that we have and allow it to accelerate in our very souls. Then you invite him to review the day with you, right? You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from far. You, Lord, you know me better than I know myself. So, Lord, help me to stop relying on me to answer my questions, my issues, my problems. But let me come to you. Show me the day. Oftentimes, if you're like me, it leads into a, a time of, to repent, to confess and repent. <laughs> Test me and see my thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Right? We confess to God. We go, oh God, thank you for showing that to me. And then we allow him to renew our heart. We allow him to renew our hearts and lead us into the way everlasting. But what is that way everlasting? What is that way everlasting? It's this. In the now, loving God and loving people as we love ourselves. That's what the now is. It's not about feeling good. That's great. I'm glad you feel good now that you made it right with the Lord. But it's, it's about loving God in a deeper way and loving people as we love ourselves Right? Matthew 22, 37 through 38 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is love. I like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I love this, that he doesn't, he doesn't leave the go out of it. This idea of loving God means that we go to do it too, to others. Whether it's the great commission or the great commandment, he wants us to be loved and to show love to others. This prayer of examine, these four steps, which there are others or various views on this, uh, may be new to you. So I would just encourage you, what does the Lord want you to do with this? How does he want you to do it? Maybe you, for the very first time, you thought today, maybe reflecting at the end of the day is the best thing to do. Then just start there. Just reflect with him. Set with him for five minutes, take a deep breath and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm shutting off the TV, I'm turning off the phone, I'm here. But maybe this is is something you've seen before and you've been now nudged to another level. Just take it to the next level. Just set with him without noise, without anything else, but allowing his voice to speak into you. Let's pray. Father God, I am grateful. I am grateful that you are my God, my Lord, and my Savior. You desire the very best from me. As David said, and David came to understand, I, you, you, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I'm wonderfully made because it's you, Lord. Lord, may that truth penetrate our hearts. And for those of us who are fearful about reflection, fearful about reviewing, fearful about repentance, fearful, Lord, about moving in this direction, Lord, would you speak, would you bring a word of peace to those hearts? A peace that promises life, Abundant life, calm, in the midst of chaos and noise. Father, we desire your work to be done in us. Lord, help us to pause long enough, to reflect long enough, to allow the light of your spirit to examine our heart, mind, and soul. that we wouldn't just live to the applause or the performance or even the pace of the world around us, but that we would pause long enough to be able to hear your voice, recognize your voice, a peace and love that desires us to take us to a deeper faith, a deeper way of living. Father, we surrender in these moments to you asking you to do a work. We ask that Jesus' name would penetrate the darkness, penetrate those blockages in our hearts and our minds for you to do a great work in us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.